So we've been uh, hopefully looking at this theme of engagement today. And any teaching, including this suggested teaching or theme of engagement, is a, a kind of medicine, something to use to counter something, some tendency of our mind that's not useful, like the tendency to want to give up because it's too hard or we don't understand what we're doing, or the tendency to think that we don't need to do anything, that it's already okay. So last night I talked about how as a way of holding and working and playing with engagement, we could use the acronym RAIN, something that many of us have been working with over the years, refining, developing our understanding of what it is to recognize, it's like this now, what it is to accept, what it is in the moment to be interested, to include, to be intimate, and what it is to realize the experience of non-grasping, non-attachment, non-identification. Engagement also is a way of aligning with a path. Uh, last night we did, we took the refuges, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, and this isn't just an old um, you know, ritual. It's actually meant to come alive. It's meant to be real, you know, as a verbal representation of what is an actual path we can step onto, something that can be recognized, something that um, delivers. Right? You go somewhere on this path as opposed to cycling over and over in the cycles of samsara, this sort of repeating patterns like we've repeated them before, this image leading to this emotion, leading to this reaction, leading to over and over. And of course, you know, any wisdom that we have, any skill that we have, it arises out of the past. It's, there's really nowhere else for wisdom or skill to come from. You know, whatever clarity or whatever perspective. In so many big and little ways, we've caught ourselves, you know, like that ancient Greek myth of pushing the boulder up the hill, we've caught ourselves struggling, imagining that we have to hold something up or keep something from falling down. And then hopefully from the past, from our past experience, there have been moments where we've been able to step aside and just let the thing go, let the thing fall, realize that that's okay. And this is another way of identifying this path. So tonight I want to talk about maybe the bigger context for engagement. You could think of it in terms of the five 
faculties, this list, this model that the Buddha used to teach, faith, inspiring effort, effort, inspiring the continuity of mindful awareness, the continuity of mindful awareness leading to stillness, steadiness, stillness and steadiness leading to the potential for insight, seeing things more clearly, which inspires faith, which inspires effort, wholesome persistence, showing up over and over again, recognizing it's like this, as we talked about last night, which allows for that continuity of mindfulness, to steadiness, to more insight. So this is a nice, useful description of this engine or this path that delivers. And every time we have that experience of catching ourselves holding up a boulder, you know, or stepping aside, letting something cease, letting the heart that's bound up, letting that feeling of being bound up cease, then it's useful to have it inform our understanding of the path. Like what just happened here? You know, like in terms of suffering and feeling obliged to hold this heavy thing up. I mean, how many times today has there been some thought about our life, about some situation in our life that had a lot of weight that we felt quite obliged to be holding up? And hopefully, how many times today that was released, it ceased. So how does it relate to some a more specific teaching like RAIN, recognizing, accepting, being interested in the realization of non-clinging? How does it relate to a, a sort of a more general model of faith leading to efforts, leading to seeing things as they are, and the continuity of that leading to steadiness, a real power of presence or power of balance, mind, leading to insight, leading to faith. And, you know, as we're on retreat, we can, uh, and we have a sense of this engine, this path, this path of engagement, you know, engaging life as it is and engaging Dhamma the way it is, transforming like an alchemy transforming what often feels heavy and difficult, having a life to something that's joyful and, and free. It's nice to, you know, as we have our actual experience, to begin to, uh, you know, we're going to be telling ourselves stories anyway. Let's tell ourselves stories about this path, like how it's, alive and available here and now, what it looks like, how you get on it, how you fall off it. I mean, this is one of the real values of the small groups or Dharma discussions with a friend or with a teacher, is that uh, often, you know, these wholesome conversations revolve around, you may not use these words, but getting on the path, 
and falling off the path. You know, getting caught in samsara, these cycles, these ways of being that are cyclical and don't lead to insight, don't lead to a deeper understanding or more skill. They just lead to the same old things that we already that are already there. Conditioned tendencies, conditioned views that are already there in our minds. <clears throat> just reinforcing what's already there. As opposed to getting on the path, engaging the practice, and something else coming out of that. Something that has the flavor of freedom. So often, you know, just in terms of using it as a model, nothing really happens without faith. Or you could use the word confidence if you prefer. It's like we, as a being, we don't put out, we don't show up, unless there's some sense that um, there's something to show up for. We tend to, uh, you know, take the route of protection, which arises actually from wrong view, which is why it's so, you know, usually so unproductive. I'm not saying that the instinct to protect ourselves is always unproductive, but as the basic movement, the basic strategy in life, it has its limitations. So I want to just take some time and reflect on ways of stepping onto the path and really beginning at the level of faith. And as I'm talking, you know, it might be useful for you also to be, like I'm doing, just reflecting on what confidence you have, like having lived a life, having had a lot of experiences, all of us, in our life. And we've learned some things. We have some confidence or some faith in life, in some aspects of life. Like specifically, all of the memories of how we've stepped out of the way and just let things, the burden, fall away. Put down the weight all the different ways we realize that we can put down the weight. Like one example is, um, you know, we often have this weight of not being good, not liking ourselves, feeling shame, not seeing anything of real value in our heart anything trustworthy. And that, you know, that idea that I'm bad or some version of that, that's a weight that some of us hold up, feel obliged to hold up a lot of the time. Maybe in our, um, if you were here for the guided metta practice today, maybe you noticed uh, a little loosening of that or dropping of that or freedom from that. getting a lot of press lately, uh, Renee Brown, um, in her book, Daring, uh, Daring Greatly. It is, it's as simple and complicated as this. 
if we want to fully experience love and belonging, we must believe that we are worthy of love and belonging. True belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our self-acceptance. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our self-acceptance. So to use this as a way of stepping um, back onto the path, see, we have to recognize no matter what sort of shame or mistrust in ourselves that is there, nothing ever actually can limit self-acceptance. I mean, that's we can accept that too, make room for that too. And that's really the very definition of love. Love is that capacity to include. And we could have spent that 30 minutes during the metta, during the loving-kindness session this afternoon, and maybe you did for part of it, you know, thinking of all the reasons why the phrases don't make sense. You know, like it's not appropriate to wish that the heart be happy and peaceful. Or it's not relevant or whatever might have come up and triggered. But to find that confidence that, you know, it's really a, it's, it's looking in a different place for the goodness. Because even if there were places in our lives where, objectively speaking, we did well, you know, we were good, it's pretty easy to see that, well, that was just, that just happened because of the particular cause. That wasn't really me anyway. Because if we do, you know, turn those particular choices we've made, particular words we've spoken, and say, that's, that was good, that's me, I did well, I was good, that itself is a bit of a setup. So instead, it's more a recognition of this process of including, as opposed to this habit of excluding. And you can see, tonight and tomorrow and you know, for the remainder of our life, we can see how this is a way of stepping back on this path of engagement. And recognizing something beautiful, something worthy of love, worthy of good wishes here, supports a fuller engagement with our experience, helps us to show up. And you could just use your imagination now, and we could try to imagine a, a place or a life situation that uh, wouldn't allow for a wholesome attitude. Like, what situation would it be impossible to relate in some wholesome way to? Because we need this initial confidence that a, a, a positive attitude, I mean, I know that sounds a little weak, limp, you know, have a positive attitude, 
but just in the general sense that there's nothing ever in the way of having a positive attitude. And it in no ways way means that we are in denial of the very real pain, the very real confusion, or whatever else might be presenting itself in our experience. But we have to appreciate that there are no there is no condition that limits a positive response. Like I talked about last night, you know, the ultimate lion's roar saying, yes, okay, now it's like this. This is how it is. This is being known. That's a positive response, a positive attitude to what might be very painful or difficult. Seeing something, seeing within ourselves some despicable pattern having been triggered. I was looking over some notes and I saw this article that Steve Armstrong wrote. And I've heard him tell this story or talk about this situation where he was, uh, some of you know, Steve and Kamala have gone through this torturous uh, process with the, I guess, county people, municipality, I don't know what government organizations they've had to deal with in terms of the zoning and water and other issues with their property on Maui that they're developing as a sort of a spiritual refuge retreat center in a small way, hermitages. But anyway, they just, they've just had one obstacle after another thrown in front of them. And evidently at one meeting, particular meeting, Steve was um, frustrated by what the person was saying. And uh, I just didn't get the words right. <laughs> and so he... Uh, so he was really frustrated that nothing was going his way. And then the official turned to him and said, you surely don't need me to remind you that life's unfair. You're old enough to know that. And that was the straw that almost broke the back. And so internally, Steve says he didn't express it outwardly, but internally he entered a hell realm for a few moments <laughs> at least. <coughs> You know, because in his mind, you know, the story in his mind was that, you know, he's trying to do something really good, and uh, these petty bureaucrats are, you know, whatever, da-da-da-da, throwing obstacles in his way that don't mean anything to anyone ultimately, but, and um, so when somebody in that situation tells you, you know, why were you expecting life to be fair, especially because Steve has been teaching this for <laughs> many decades, you know, that life is what it is. It isn't, it's neither fair nor unfair. It is just the natural and, in a sense, perfect expression of the causes and conditions that are there. It's lawful, a lawful unfolding. But to, uh, like, another way to step on the path is, as Steve seems to have been able to do, which is, it evidently took a few seconds, at least, um, but to include it. Like, not to include the comment that the official said, but to include his uh, childish, petty, ignorant 
response. I mean, ignorant in the sense that it uh, it could have caused a lot of suffering had it been acted out. But to include, okay, yeah, these strands of conditioning, these habits, habit energies are here. And when conditions are right, they all come up in this big, juicy way. And if there is even the slightest wavering of mindfulness, we're going to hop on board and we'll start acting and speaking from those feelings, those perceptions. I mean, it's really perceptions, like perceiving that the official is evil <laughs> or whatever we might imagine in that moment. So that's one way to step back into the path of engagement, the path of opening, is to realize, to have faith that it can be included, that the, that itself is this essential goodness. We have to be careful when we use phrases like uh, our inherent goodness, basic goodness, or even metta, loving kindness, because it can seem as if we're saying that were the, the conditionings of my mind are essentially good, like the habit energies of my mind are essentially good. But the fact is the habit energies of my mind are just what they are. You know, they're just some collection of tendencies. And they're just there because of what happened before, you know, what got set in motion. And they're, in a sense, neither good nor bad. We say better, we say it's lawful. It's a lawful expression of what's come before. So basic goodness isn't referring to the tendencies of my mind. If there's something called basic goodness, something trustworthy, it's this capacity to include. Or I think it's related to the R and ring, you know, the capacity of the mind, the heart, to recognize. Because to recognize something as being here and now means we're including it. You can't recognize something and not be touched, vulnerable to it, allowing it to be. But right? if you're messing with it, trying to protect yourself from it, you're not really recognizing it. To recognize means you have to leave it alone. You have to be undefended for a moment at least. And then another way that uh, we can step on the path is uh, recognizing the very real power. I mean, as a living being, we gravitate toward power. We like power. We want competence. We want to feel competent, powerful in the world. We want to be able to affect change, like to participate in how things are unfolding, right? So we're looking for you know, we always talk about this and people do workshops and charge a lot of money about finding your power, you know, how to be powerful, how to manifest change in your life. And uh, one of the things we've all bumped up or discovered, stumbled into, hopefully at least, and then maybe have made it a science, an art and a science, is the tremendous power that arises with the continuity of awareness. More than anything, I think, more than love even, as powerful as that recognition of 
including what's hard to include. As powerful as that is, as transforming as that is, a way to step back on the path of transformation as that is, discovering and then making an art and science of continuity of awareness <coughs> is really uh, finding our power. It is, it is the way toward human empowerment. Because there is nothing that won't reveal its secrets with the continuity of mindfulness. Quite literally, the whole world bows down before a mind that has that simple, continuous, mindful presence. It's like it's like the uh, you know the magic mantra, and then the whole world opens up. We see what wasn't being seen, and it's interesting given how. You know, it's real relatively simple to understand intellectually, you know, that sustaining that thread of mindful awareness, you know, and training like we could with different objects such as the mindfulness of breathing or just whatever's predominant moment by moment. And you can, if you play with this enough, if you have enough faith or confidence from your own experience or just even from my words to sort of really look at it, then you can um, just notice how the mind and the experience begins to become transformed as the continuity of awareness deepens or lengthens. And then when we lose it, reality appears as it always appears, just as we expect it to appear, ordinary. <laughs> You know, just the same old me doing the same old things. You know, you might be outside walking and all of a sudden there's a little continuity of awareness and it's like, it's so beautiful. But see, we don't realize the connection that what it's not so much that the fields and the snow are more beautiful than they were before. It's that the mind is beginning to perceive the underlying nature. And uh, it's amazing precisely because it's new. And of course, it's not just new because we haven't had that experience before, but it's new because every moment when it's seen with those eyes, with the eyes of the continuity of mindfulness, has a a freshness. There's nothing stale. Things are stale only when there's not continuity of mindfulness. It's so interesting in my own life, my own practice, how, uh, you know, even though I'm just on a basic ego level, I'm interested in this power. I'm interested in being successful in my practice. Um, and I understand, you know, where the power comes from, the power of transformation. It's just interesting how uh, 
the mind doesn't apply itself to the task at hand, to that continuity of awareness. And I think what happens is uh, it's not easy. And, uh, and so as we face the difficulty of it, we give up. You know, it triggers all the different ways we tend to give up. We tend to not believe we can do it. Look for a quote from Spider uh, in the beginning. I can badly paraphrase it. I don't think I've got it yet. But he says, he says this a lot in his teachings. He says something like, you know, being aware of things as they are is not difficult. But being aware of things as they are continuously is very difficult. And that's the that's really the trick. Because we all have a lot of confidence in being aware of things as they are. Because we've seen that even in that momentary sense, how clarifying it is to sort of drop the uh, conceptual overlay and just sort of drop in. It's just our life our understanding gets clarified immediately. But we either get uh, complacent or satisfied with that level of clarity or in uh, trying to have a more continuous presence, an unwavering mindful awareness, we realize all that arises. Because one of the problems with this empowerment I'm talking about is the power that begins to arise as there is some continuity gets hijacked by all the tendencies of the mind to fantasize, to imagine that our practice is really going great. I mean, it's like uh, the seductiveness and uh, intensity and just the power of our projections is fed by the power that arises when things settle down. So it's not like we have to be able to, to develop the continuity of awareness. It's not just that we have to deal with our ordinary projections, but we have to start dealing with extraordinary projections things that seem so real, so important, so worthy of grasping, of taking personally, of running with. So we put down the practice. We don't even recognize that we put down the practice, but we grab a hold of something. And then eventually we notice, maybe we even realize what happened. We trace back. We realize the hook where the mind took a left instead of going straight ahead. And we begin again. And that's really the confidence, faith part, you know, getting back on the path. So we can appreciate, you know, the basic goodness of the heart, which is this capacity to include. Or we could appreciate the power of the continuity of awareness to open everything up. Everything yields, everything bows down to continuity of awareness. There is nothing that isn't seen through, nothing that isn't deeply understood by the continuity of awareness. One of the things 
that gets revealed is just uh, the karma of skillfulness and unskillfulness. How it is, you know, for example, we end up depressed or agitated or you know all the different ways of being in an in an afflictive emotional state. But rarely do we really get like how did we get here? And we might superficially say, well, this thing happened in my life. That's why I'm upset. That's why my mind, my heart's entangled. But with the continuity of awareness, we know exactly how we got there. Moment by moment by moment. The continuity of awareness, because it's there, that presence, that simple non-judging presence is there, it doesn't forget. So when the question arises, how did I get here? then the answer just presents itself. That's one of the attributes of steadiness of mind, of samadhi, is that you don't forget anything. You see, you remember, you know exactly how you got here because it was a lawful unfolding. And the mind was there. The knowing was there. So the knowing can go backwards. Well, this, and then there was that. And before that, there was this other thing. And then having then reflected on that, it's so much easier to catch it next time because you know all the, the precursors to ending up in that agitated, afflicted state. You know the hook. You know exactly what, what it was about the hook that was seductive. You know, and about how hard it was to, the, to avert the attention. Like, we, we want to go back. I always remember the very disgusting comment that Matt Buzzer told me once about how dogs like to go back to their vomit and sniff it. You know, and it's like the same thing that when we've made a mess or when there's a mess in our, we keep keep looking at the same agitation and getting the same disgust, the same reaction. And that's how we get trapped in these agitating, afflictive states. But the continuity of awareness really reveals how, like, how dukkha works. Dukkha is a process, it's a, a happening. And what perpetuates dukkha, stressful states, is the not understanding it. And of course, the same thing is true with really wholesome states of mind. The continuity of awareness reveals exactly how the mind, the heart, abides in really wholesome states. How it is that the, the mind, the heart, sustains those wholesome states, develops them. People who uh, have done more intensive work with samadhi or jhana practice, it's the continuity of awareness of that whole process of settling down that helps the mind know how to settle down. It's the continuity of awareness that begins to distill the underlying principles of a heart settling down into peaceful states, states of absorption. The mind is distilling the underlying principles so that it's not just a matter of the conditions uh, accidentally aligning themselves so that you have a good sit, but the mind knows exactly how that happens. And then it can bring that to mind. It can sort of follow that path. It's the same thing with forgiveness. You know, we may have a situation in our life where intellectually we know we need to forgive this person but we don't know how 
But if we've had more continuous awareness in difficult situations where there was forgiveness, we'd know how to forgive. We've, we would know what's not being seen, like seeing the burden of being the one who hates this person, or the identification and the, um, the superficial juice we get from having that identification with being the victim, being the one who was um, hurt or abused by this other person. We're, we're missing that piece. And not seeing that piece, but instead feeling like I've got to give this person something called forgiveness, well, we're missing the foundation of forgiveness, which is an understanding that I'm not this angry person. I don't have to be this angry person anymore. That's why we can forgive the person, because we've realized I'm not that person. I don't have to be that person that's holding that heavy ball up. You did this to me. That's not fair. You can think about this continuity of attention as illuminating. It really illuminates the heart, the mind, everything. And sometimes it's a heavy trip. You know, we become profoundly sensitive when we develop more and more continuous awareness. It's like part of that power, what, we, what it reveals is like how much dukkha there is here and around us and other people. I often say um, with a smile because it's, uh, it's encouraging for myself and hopefully for others that uh, this profound sensitivity that comes from the continuity of mindfulness, it provokes uh, wisdom. It, it forces wisdom's hand because there's no way to survive being a sensitive human being <coughs> without becoming more and more wise or learning how to let go, how to be, to realize that reality of non-grasping. So even though I talk about this continuity as an empowerment, so, which it absolutely is, it's also uh, it's challenging, but in all the right ways. Another um, stepping stone back into the practice, back onto this path of awakening, is understanding intention, the power of intention. And this, of course, is revealed through the continuity of attention. Like, intention in the mind is very subtle. And so without the continu continuity of awareness, we're not going to really see the, uh, that intention is the tipping point, really makes things happen. It's incredibly powerful. And I, I'd encourage you to experiment with it on retreat. Just in skillful ways, don't overdo it. In skillful ways, just establish different intentions in the mind. Like you lie down to take a nap. And as you're doing that, you make a very clear intention coming from a really wholesome place. Like probably 15 minutes is more than enough. 
and if I do more than 50 minutes, I won't, it won't be pleasant. So you set that intention. I want to get up in 15 minutes. I want to look at the clock in, at, at 15 minutes at that point, and then I'll decide, or something like that. You just plant that intention, and then you just do go about your business of resting. And just see how the mind responds to intention. Or you set the intention, when I get to the food line, I want to be aware of seeing. I want to be aware of smelling. I want to remember to be present. You just set that intention. And there you are on the line, and you don't want to be present, but that it will come up in your mind. You know, you want to just sort of, we just want to indulge, it's, you know, and we don't want to have to be good. And a lot of the times we associate being mindful with having to be good, you know, having to behave ourselves or something like that which isn't really what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is just is showing, revealing what it is, and then you can decide whether you want to be good or bad, but you just have to do it in the light of day. And that's, that's the problem. We don't want to be bad and know we're bad. <laughs> we want to indulge or act out in an from an unconscious place. So that's another way you could set your intention, like certain places during the day where you tend not to be aware, you might just set that intention to be aware. Or if there's a particular drama that keeps coming up in your sits or throughout the day, you could just set the intention to notice the particular hook that sets, sets that mental proliferation in motion. The very first moment the mind begins to identify and indulge, and it, what, you want to be there to see it in the light of day. Or just the other end of it, like to see, I want to be there when the mind drops it. So you can set that intention. But in any case, uh, to develop a real confidence in intention, because this is the very place where, in a sense, we participate in this interdependent unfolding by not so much by playing the intentions because there's really nobody back there that kind of is okay I'm gonna play I'm gonna bring up this intention or this result but the real power comes in seeing the power of intention and that itself changes the intentions that it's like wisdom itself becomes more careful with intention when it understands the power of intention. Conventionally speaking, you know, we say, I'm setting this intention. Like even, you know, the examples that I gave you. But now, because it's been planted, you could just see those, like, you'll naturally, okay, let me set my intention. That will be the voice of wisdom. Let me see the effect of that intention. And the last thing I'll mention about these ways to step onto the path, so we have mentioned about the basic goodness, which is this capacity to include, and how that can be a place of faith or confidence arising out of our own experience, and how that can bring us right back into the path, onto the path. 
help us to leave behind whatever swirl we were in the middle of. We can bring up our faith, our confidence in the continuity of awareness, which of course then just inspires the mind to be aware in the next moment and then in the next moment to keep showing up because we're inspired by that, the power of continuity. We can be inspired, cause for faith, uh, what we have come to understand about intention and how, see, by definition, intention has consequences. That's that's what intention is. Like a, something that, like an intentional action is an action that has consequences. It sets something in motion. So that's what I meant about participating in this lawful interdependent unfolding. It's the only way a living being participates in this great interdependent unfolding is through the process of intending or being acting in a way that has consequences, sets something in motion. And then the last one I wanted to mention is this uh, understanding what renunciation is, having faith in renunciation. And we have to really work at this because we have a lot of baggage around words like renunciation or letting go. And almost always we put it in light of, I have to let go, I should let go, I should be holding on, I should need all of this, a nice wool blanket and a prop for my knee and a cushion that's six inches high. And, you know. All this delicious food, beautifully prepared, and a building that's incredibly warm. I was looking out the window earlier today and it just occurred to me like, uh, well, just how vulnerable we are. <laughs> just thinking how thin the line is between <laughs> being cozy and being really cold. And uh, this is was a little bit more poignant last Saturday. <clears throat> Some of you were, I think, were on the the workshop day long workshop that I gave last Saturday at the center, and the the electricity in, in our part of town in Minneapolis went out for a little bit. You know, it was a really cold day, and just to think about like. 